Last one. I, I liked this one. What do you call two monkeys that share an Amazon account? Primates. You know, there is something enjoyable about being a dad and annoying your children. And I think that's how dad jokes came to life, was this thought that, you know, they're grating on me, so I'm going to grate on them. And, you know, I, I don't typically speak on themed messages that surround the holidays because there's so many holidays and I don't want to lose focus of where we're going. But this year I spoke on Mother's Day to mothers and the Lord gave me a message for fathers. And I thought, you know what? Let's allow our hearts to stir for our fathers. And I believe that even if you're not a dad in this place today, that this message is going to speak to you. But I look around this room, and there, there are tremendous dads in this room. Nathan, I think about you soon, very soon. You're going to be a dad. And, yeah. And here's the thing that I also know. As, as tremendous as some of the dads are we have in this room, we also have many dads in this room that they feel like failures. There might be dads who maybe you felt you weren't there for your kids because maybe you had to work too much. Or maybe you didn't get your priorities straightened out till later in life. There might be a, a dad in here who was there for their kids, but they were still rejected by them when they grew up. But I know that in our culture, the role of the father has been minimized. It has been disrespected. And I was sitting there pondering why this is. And yes, no doubt, there are some fathers out there, and I'm just going to be frank, that have been worthless to their family. But do you think that perhaps when society minimizes the role of God in their lives, that the natural progression then is to earthly fathers? After all, many view God through the lens of the relationship they had with their father, which is not representative of who God is. Growing up, my father worked a lot. He worked midnights, and he had pressures from his job that I couldn't begin to understand. And when I was younger and he worked midnight patrol, he'd sleep during the day. But when he was awake and when the family was there, I mean, he was all hours. When I was about nine years old, he worked for uh, the Vice and Narcotics unit, unit for uh, Des Moines Police Department. And although his hairstyle was interesting <laughs> and his take-home vehicles were somewhat amusing, the job would often pull him away because he had to be on call. But I can tell you, when he was home, he was home. He focused on the family and he spent quality time with my brother and I. He showed us how to love and respect his wife. And dad, I promise I'm not eulogizing you today. <laughs> but what it displayed was a great work ethic 
while giving quality time to the family. And I appreciated that. Today I want to share a story in Scripture. And not everything we talk about today is going to correlate with this story, but I want to share with you today lessons that I have learned as a father. And this story, it displays what the heart of the Father should be as an allegory to God, our Father. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 11, we're going to be reading verses 15 through 32. It's a lot of verses, but I promise you, it's worth it. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 15, I'm going to read. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. First off, who's ever been in pig work before? Okay, if, if you spend just a day, you will smell like that and your clothes will smell like that for the rest of your life. But he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home! Even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, his, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and his sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years 
I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray. Father God, We praise you and we thank you for being a God that, Lord, even in our foolishness, we can run back to. And God, you embrace us again as your child. Lord, I pray that all the fathers in the room can receive this with the heart intended. Lord, you being our example. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jamie, I had a thought. We put some items in the freezer that might need to get out. We could have a mess on our hands. As much as this story is about the son, it also tells us about the father. I don't know how many times I've read this story and I've thought just through the eyes of the son. But I read this and the, the, the love that the father shows and his character also shines through. And as dads, we should aim for the character of God. Amen? And so what I want to do is I want you, especially you dads, to write down. These are just lessons that I have learned. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I haven't figured it all out. But one thing I do is my family unit comes before everything else. And even in that, I have learned to prioritize God first. Prioritize God first. Now, I say that, and I, I, I want to tell you, that doesn't mean that I prioritize the church over my family. Yes, I'm the pastor of this church, but my wife and I have made an agreement. I don't know if I've ever set, shared this at this church publicly. All she has to do is look at me and say, I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm done. And my attitude is, say no more. I'll go work a secular job. My dedication, first and foremost, outside of God, is to my family. But if we prioritize God first, and I believe uh, that is our only path, that should be our only choice, because, I don't know if you're aware of this, your children are careful observers. They're watching you. Habits are picked up as a product of doing life together. You know, and I've got some great examples. My niece, I, I, I've grown to love her to death and appreciate her, and her and my daughter are very close friends, but her dad thinks he's a cowboy. 
okay? And I always call Matt the urban cowboy, right? But he does live in the country. He has horses and stuff. And sure enough, his daughter is into everything he's into. She does the 4-H shows. She, she had a horse before she was born, right? Like, like, this is just the way this family is set up. And I know I go out there and I'm just like, you know, if I touch that horse, I'm going to break out in hives because I'm allergic to them. It's just two different worlds. But how we talk, how we walk, some of our responses, those are learned behaviors that our kids pick up. Often what we're passionate about, your children will share in those same passions. And you, being the parent, have the ability to steer them into what's important. Are you hearing me? Proverbs 22.6 says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. I want to be clear about what I call the priority ladder. There is nothing more important than your relationship with God first. Secondly, there is nothing more important. Nathan, you're about to have a kid. You hear this particularly. There is nothing more important than prioritizing your, your children's mother. That's the second. Don't prioritize the kids. Prioritize your spouse. You hearing me? I've had friends, they prioritize the kids. Kids turn 18, leave the house. And they're looking at each other going, do I know you? How do we do this together? And they're too focused on mourning the loss of their kids. I got to tell you, when, when he's in my plan, let's have kids young. Because one day, this is what we thought at the time. It turns out it's not going to happen. One day, they're going to leave the house. And freedom, freedom. And we thought, boy, the things that we will be able to do. Well, God had other plans. But then thirdly, there is nothing more important than the relationship with your kids. Not work. Not church, are you hearing me? Nothing more important than that. And your relationship with God and your instruction will be evident to them. And so what you steer your kids into will develop their priorities. Now, there are many things we can impart to our kids, but our relationship with the Lord is the only thing that is going to save their soul. Are you hearing me, church? That is the only thing. So as they develop, everything we do with them should be in light of their relationship with the Lord for eternity's sake. Every other thing we do, it might be innocent enough but there are many paths that can also lead us away from God. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. We're going to spend some time in this scripture today. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. 
But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Church, I I want you to hear this next thing, and I want to be clear, and I know it can sting because it stung me before. You cannot, and I repeat, you cannot teach your kids to serve a God you don't serve and expect them to follow him. You can't do it. I've heard parents say, I want my kids raised in church. And they'll go as far as dropping them off at the door and then going off to the casino while their kid is getting the best baby service that free money can buy, you know. But here's the thing. The max amount of influence this church can have on you a week right now through teaching is 2.5 hours. 2.5 hours. There's 168 hours in a week. And so it is the rest of that time throughout the week that can further develop them. So you must be about a life that serves Christ because they need it modeled on a daily basis, right? Because we might say we follow God in word, but not in deed. Maybe we show up to church on Sunday, we tell people we believe in Jesus, but if your actions don't demonstrate it, they're not going to see it. Matthew 5, 7, 15 through 17, it says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. As much as we read this scripture and it is about false prophets, you know you can apply this to basically any believer. You can look at the fruits of their lives and you can tell whether or not they are rooted in the things of God or not. It's the same principle. And people are going to be able to observe if your words line up with your actions. And no one more than your kids. So you have to set a standard for your own life. Model to them what God looks like. Don't tell them. Show them. Show them by doing. This means, okay, I'm going to be harsh. This means you better have a private time with God. Not so they can see, so no one else can see. And they know that there is a time where My parent is off limits. I can't get to them. That's their private time. Men, start your day on your knees in prayer. Start your day on your knees. Pray over your family, pray over their futures. 
Don't let anything interfere with your time in the Word of God. It's not worth your soul. Make going to church a priority. Set disciplines. Do you know how hard disciplines are to start? They're incredibly hard. But I've found if you choose a goal, if you find your motivation, if you identify the obstacles that are in your way, you replace old habits with new ones, monitor your progress, you're going to see disciplines begin to form. But we don't do this just for our sake. We do this for our family's sake. In 2006, I was a youth pastor here at this church. And I was the unhealthiest I had ever been. I was having heart palpitations at times where I could feel like an arrhythmia going on in my heart. And I became fearful because at the time I was only 25 years old. Thinking, what's going on here? And then I did something I dared to never do because I was so scared of it. I stepped on the scale. And it said 292 pounds. And I thought, I'm in trouble. And I want to be there for my family. And so what I did was I set a goal. I started working out. I restricted my eating. And I I focused only on healthy eating. And in six months, I lost 105 pounds. (laughs) But wait, there's more. (laughs) But it hasn't always been maintained. It's been work. There have been things about myself I've had to learn, right? And so many of us come to the altar. So many of us cry out to God, just make those disciplines happen. Holy Spirit, I'm I'm open for the download. Like, like, like the matrix, just plug me into the machine, I'll be ready to go. Just give me those disciplines. Hoping the Holy Spirit changes us immediately. Do you know most disciplines take, they say, 59 to 70 days to really start setting in? And I believe something that, that is going to ruin your Pentecostal theology I think God does this by design. He does it by design. He wants us to choose Him. There are times where God can supernaturally make a change in our life, but He wants you to choose to follow Him, and so He's not going to just change every bad habit in your life. He wants you to work for Him. He wants you to determine that he is worth following. He is worth abandoning the world for. The next lesson that I want to talk about that I've learned, this is going to be hard for some because you might be carrying some hurts in this. Love them when they don't love you. Imagine the father in our story today was basically told, I can't wait for you to die. Give me my inheritance now. I 
I'm sure you might have been told, I wish you were dead or you don't mean anything to me. And, you know, we, we read this and it's a sign of a relationship that clearly, even though we can't see the context of it in our scripture today, a relationship that wasn't going well. The son didn't just have an epiphany one day and decide, yeah, I, I'd like my inheritance money. There was probably a struggle. And this father, he could have said no. The father could have been heartless and said, you're written out of the will. You're not getting anything. I think I've heard that out of people in today's day and age. Instead, what he did was he turned his inheritance over to his son right then. He gave him what he asked for. Now, this is going to be hard for you to imagine, but I have not been always the precious angel that I am today. Okay? And there were times growing up in my childhood where I did not like the disciplines mom and dad were setting. So if I didn't like it, I would say, I'm going to call the cops. And they handed me the phone. Right? It was attached to a cord at that time. Some of you guys have never seen that before. Yeah. And so there was that same struggle even in a godly household. There's probably going to be those same struggles in your household. Because as a child, what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out, can I manipulate them to get exactly what I want? Right? And as a, as a teenager, most teens think their parents don't know anything. And it, man, I thought it was Father's Day. Pastor Morris, save me. <laughs> but in our immaturity, hear me out, church, in our immaturity, we can tend to do some very stupid things, and it takes wisdom and growth, and it takes eventually coming into maturity to realize maybe mom and dad aren't so dumb after all. In fact, I, I think about the, some things I said and did as a teenager and in my early 20s. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, those are days I would like to forget, right? But we as parents, we also know we do make mistakes. And then you compound that with the immaturity of our kids, and it can set up for some difficult times in communication and relationship development. And so as controlling as we as parents, we might want to be at times to get the right outcome, there are also times where we as parents, we need to learn to let go. And that's not easy. Clearly in this story, the father had seen his son is already going his own way. So what he did was he let And you as a parent, you might need to learn to let go a little bit and surrender them into the hands of God. And this isn't so that we enable bad behavior. And it's also not so that we are just a doormat, right? But can you imagine 
this father, he sends his son off on his own way. And I'm sure people are seeing him. People know exactly who he is. And they're running back to the dad and said, you will not believe what I saw your son doing. Or eventually, he's living, he's living amongst the pigs. He's eating their food. He's not doing well. What are you as a father doing about that? And he let him go. I have a friend whose son became severely addicted to drugs. And the biggest challenge in this friend's life was her mother and him were divorced. And they had been going to counseling and they, they, they realized that there was only one thing that could possibly save him. And it was to cut him off completely from everything. And so they told him, there's only one thing we will do for you. Well, no, there's two things. If you come to our house, we'll feed you. And we'll take you to rehab. Those are the two things we'll do for you. That's it. Eight rehab stints. In times of leaving the rehab center and relapsing, I can only imagine the years of difficulty that went by. But cutting him off eventually paid off the ninth time. And that young man today has his own business, serving the Lord, has a family, and a father that he knows loves him. Right? There were many years that he was told, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. And yet, every time his son came, he received him. The challenges of parenting church, they can be so difficult. And one could argue that it is harder today than ever before. But if you choose to love them, even when they say they hate you, eventually that is going to shine through. Give it time. Give it patience. Now here's the other side of the coin. Sometimes we as parents... We give our kids reasons not to love us because of our humanness and we fail. And so this is another thing. Guys, I want you to write it down. It's not easy. Learn to say, I'm sorry. And mean it. Let the pride down, guys. Let it down. Learn to say, I'm sorry. Recognize when you're wrong. And I argue that if you can say, I'm sorry, and recognize when you're wrong, that will show them God more than anything else on the face of the earth. I believe it shows them grace. It shows them what forgiveness needs to look like. Say, I'm sorry. It can be one of the most freeing things in our relationships. Because we know there are times our children will have to come to us seeking forgiveness. But we need to be men and ladies. We need to be enough and aware in our humanness. We have things that we need to apologize for too.
The next thing. Forgive as you have been forgiven. I can't say this enough. The moment someone seeks forgiveness from you, I don't care how big the offense was, if they're contrite, offer them grace. Forgiving them for what they've done, it also connects them with a loving Heavenly Father who offers the same exact thing. In the story of the prodigal son, the moment his son came back, all that passed in that moment was forgiven. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, listen to this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Church, I'm telling you, forgiveness offers freedom from the burden of sin and guilt over your soul and theirs. And God is glorified in that. And because, as we have already talked about, there will be a time that you need to be forgiven. And hopefully that grace that you have offered them, because I can almost promise you, they're going to need to ask for your forgiveness before you ever need to ask for theirs. They're going to understand they need to offer it to you when you ask forgiveness. But sometimes... A lack of forgiveness is displayed by lording over your kids. You know what? Helicopter parents, it's not worth it. It's stressing you out. It's stressing them out. It's not good. I have seen parents pull their kids aside and just rail on them for some of the smallest things. I used to be one of those parents. And what I've learned is it's, it's, an, it's one thing to run a tight ship. It's another thing to completely exasperate your children. For example, I once heard a mom laying into her kid at the grocery store, and it was about all these little things. She was like, stop complaining. Don't shrug your shoulders. Pick up your feet when you walk. Listen to me when I'm talking to you. Don't chew your gum with your mouth open. You're such a slob, and on and on and on. And it was railing against the kid, and I thought, if she is willing to do that in public... Imagine what it's like behind closed doors. Children, we cannot exasperate our kids, or children, parents. Listen to Ephesians 6 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. By the grace of God, we will be the ones who are disciplined and with a sound mind when dealing with our children. And when they start making God-honoring decisions, it should be praised. Celebrate them. You know, some of you are like, it, I love to celebrate my kids. It comes naturally. But I'm telling you, there are some selfish people in this world it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing because if that person's not happy, they're not going to celebrate anyone else. Celebrate your kids. This son 
demanded his inheritance before his dad was ever dead. And there, he has the audacity. He's spent it all. He has the audacity to return home. And his father sees him coming in the distance. And I could only imagine my humanness. I'd be like, oh, I don't want to deal with this today. What could he want? Right? Thinking about all the possible scenarios of what might go down. But as the father sees him, he starts running to him. He takes him. I can only imagine the smell, right? He kisses him. Demands, go get the finest robe we have. Get a ring for his finger. Get sandals for his feet. Do you realize the symbolism in that, right? This is speaking to how much the Father cares about you, that he wants to decorate you, he wants to adorn you so that you are a representative child of his. And that's what he was doing at that moment. And he said, you know what? Spare no expense, the finest food. We are going to have a party today. Think about it this way. It didn't require a family discussion It didn't start out with a 10-step process of earning trust back. He would celebrate in returning home. The heart of God is to love you. It's to love you. To see you return and to remain in him. And so if you're struggling with this, I want to ask you a rhetorical question. I'm sure you love rhetorical questions. Are we better than God that we can't forgive? Are we better than him? What makes us so self-righteous? Have we not needed the same forgiveness and love? You and I, we have received the unmerited favor of God, so we have to offer it as well. Now we can we read by the observation of the uh, older brother, the father's decision wasn't exactly popular. The son was upset because he lived a right way, and so he's thinking, "Wait, hold on! What you're doing for him, I deserve." I've been here every day. I've been working hard. I haven't wasted the inheritance because it said the father split the inheritance amongst the two sons. He's like, I haven't wasted this. I have honored you in everything I've done. And so he felt slighted. But church, this is important to remember as you might be looking at someone else in this room and you are judging whether or not they deserve the outpouring that God is giving them. We're all children of God. Every single one of us are children of God. And God, no matter who you are, if you run to him, wants to pour out grace upon grace upon grace on you. You know, when we open ourselves up to God, nothing can separate us from his love. There's nothing that can. He's an amazing father, and that is the same father that I'm resolved to be.
Do I lose sight? Do I lose focus? Yes. Heavens, yes. But today I choose to be thankful for the gift of life God has charged me to oversee on this earth. I'm going to tell you, my plans were not God's plans. I had a dream of what the perfect family looked like. And so for many years of my life, I wrestled with the fact that we looked far from perfect. And I struggled. And there was times where I was ashamed. Times where I didn't want to leave the house. And then eventually, God did a change here. He did a change here. And he helped me recognize, do you not see I've given them to you? You are only a steward of their life. I'm their father. And I realized they're going to see God through me. And so I better do my best to be that reflection. You know what? Fatherhood done right is a reflection of our relationship with God. So men, I challenge you. Give them God. Lead your families in truth. Lead them in love. Lead them in grace. Give them Jesus. I'm going to do something I don't typically do. Because it would make sense to say, hey, let's just pray over our fathers today. But I want our prayer altar team to come. Because I believe God spoke to me something very specific today. There are some here that you do not have a good relationship with your father. There are some here where you as a father maybe haven't always been the best God-fearing man. And you might be here today and your relationship with God the Father might be struggling because of your past experiences. Maybe it was how you viewed your father. Maybe it's your own failures. And you're just here today to say, man, I need healing. I need healing in my heart. I want to be more like God. I don't want to be like that past, that past representation. I want to understand who God the Father is today. So what I want you to do is I want to encourage you to stand right now. And if your connection with God has been a struggle, if there's some healing that needs to take place in your heart, the prayer altar team, what they want to do is, it's not like they're, he they're up here just because they crave hearing about your mess. They crave that you have a connection with God. They crave that you walk in freedom. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray.
And then I'm going to encourage you to just step out. If the Holy Spirit's just working on you and saying, man, you need to go to God on this. Approach someone to pray with. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. Lord, we as humans, we fail, and we, we fail often. And there is no perfect representation of you outside of you and your son. God, I ask that, um, Lord, your Holy Spirit will minister to those who are here right now. Because, God, I believe that there are hearts that are distant from you. There have been barriers that have been put up because, Lord, they've had difficult lives. And they've struggled to see you through that difficulty. But, God, I believe by the power of your Spirit, their, their spiritual eyes are going to be open to see how much you care, how much you love them, and how you desire that they know that love and they walk in freedom, God. So, Lord, I do cry out for that freedom to take place today. That no one leaves here burdened by the past, but set free to be that example of who you are for the future. I thank you and I praise you, Father. Jesus' name. If the Spirit of God's working on you, I just encourage you as we sing this song, would you come?